So it's really good to be back. Last week, uh, you allowed me, whether you knew it or not, <laughs> you allowed me to go to Vienna Baptist and speak and share there. And it was neat to see some familiar faces there. And uh, actually, uh, the pastor, uh, Bill Brown, uh, when I was in youth group at Cornerstone, uh, he was a youth leader in that ministry. And he actually took over the youth group after Sharon Pearson was my youth leader. And she ended up at New Hope. And there's a whole, it's just, I, I get fascinated by God's ministry of tree. You know, that, that there's people that influence you and then there's other people that have influenced somebody else. Uh, for the sake of Christ. And that was always encouraging to think back and look at some of those things. Uh, so the, the fall series that we're going to be doing, and so this is kind of a preview today of our fall series. And the fall series will start September 4th, and it's going to be questions. And so the whole series, just like the background slides here, is about questions that we ask God and then, or Jesus, and then questions that God asks us is the small group or the life group portion of what we're going to be doing during midweek. So uh, this is a big chance, like everything, we can blame COVID for a lot of things. This is one of the things we blame COVID for is, is that we really need to do a reset for our life group ministry. Uh, there's been some groups that have kind of fallen off a little bit, and, and we need to reestablish some of our life group ministries. So we're looking for people that would just take and say, hey, I would like to lead a life group, or I'd like to start a life group. And you don't have to have a lot of people. You don't have to have 12 people to be in a life group to get started with. You can just have a a small group of people. And what we're asking for is just seven weeks. This series will last seven weeks. It'll be a church-wide thing that we do. We as pastors, me, Pastor Mark, and Adam, are going to be doing uh, the series. So we're going to be doing the video portion of that, and you'll have discussion questions that will go along with the video. And so that we're going to make that as a presentation. So again, it's going to be seven weeks, and when it's going to be the week of starting September 4th. And so going along with what the slide shows uh, to you is this, is that we will make the videos available through YouTube, Facebook, and Right Now Media. So we can actually add some of our videos to Right Now Media. Now, unfortunately, I think there's a little bit of glitch in my working through that. I found out there's some devices that may not let you search for that video. So we'll have to work around that. And I'll be working with Right Now Media on that. But we will make the videos available for you on YouTube, Facebook, and on the church website. But we just want to let you know that we were going to try this out. So this is something that's an undertaking. But this is something we believe in and is the mission of our church is to get once a year at least, get our church body together to talk about certain topics together that we can have other conversations. So in other words, your life group isn't just experiences. All of the church or most of the church hopefully will encounter with this in some way and that you can have continual conversations at work or wherever you are or if you just want to hang out and just talk about these questions that we're raising that we ask ourselves of God and then God asks us these important questions. So we're going to be diving into that and I'm looking forward to it. So the messages are questions we ask and then the lessons are questions that God asks. So next week, next Sunday night at five o'clock, We're going to have what we call a facilitator's gathering or a facilitator's meeting. And so what we're asking for is if you have any desire to maybe help start and lead a life group for seven weeks, just seven weeks, we're not asking you to commit to a year, not asking you to commit to uh, the rest of your life. We're asking you just to commit for seven weeks to start something. 
Maybe you could start a group in your workplace. Maybe you could start a group with some of your friends. Maybe it's some of your family members. But we'd like for you to be interested or at least be open to the idea of an opportunity for you to serve and for you to invest in others. Because we believe at Porterfield that it's us taking a leadership role in investing in someone else that helps other people grow in their faith. And it's an opportunity for us to see other believers be supported and encouraged and for us to reach out to each other. So if you would think about that and pray about that, we'd love to see you here at 5 o'clock. Nicole Ritchie, who is our leader for Life Groups, will be here, and I'll be here some, uh, to help you out. And we want to walk through with you in that process. We don't want to just leave you alone as an orphan. We want to be walking with you and supporting you and helping you as you navigate this. And you know what? Life groups can be messy. Life in general is messy, right? (laughs) So it doesn't have to be perfect. We're not asking for people to be fantastic at it. We want people to have a heart for God and a heart for others. So just be praying about that for us. So now let's dive into the question that we're asking today. As I said, this is a preview of our series. This question is the rich young ruler's question. And it says, teacher, what good thing must I do to, to get eternal life? And I think it's very important that we notice that in Matthew chapter 16 or 19, Matthew chapter 19, verse 16, that he's pointing out the fact that the person's asking to get eternal life. As I looked through some of the other translations, or not translations, some of the other gospels, in Mark chapter 10, verse 17, it says, good teacher, he asked, what must I do to an and that I, to inherit eternal life. And it's a very different question. I think it's interesting because as you look at the, the Gospels, they are a little different. But that brings to me the, the validity of this because anytime you're trying to get information, you might have a different slant on something. Like Mark, he wasn't really there when Jesus said this, so he's gathered the information and writing it down. Where Matthew, the tax collector, was there and was present, and it's just a little difference. Then he says, get eternal life, and the other one says, inherit eternal life. Same thoughts, it's all good, it's the same message, but I think that little difference of get. In other words, this rich young ruler was wanting something for himself. He was wanting to know, how can I get eternal life? And I think it's all the question. Mankind has struggled with this. And it goes back to a few months ago that I preached a message about time and how God has placed eternity in our hearts that we all just want to live forever. We don't want to die. I mean, the reason why we do workouts and the reason why we do all these things, not that I do workouts, but anyhow, the thing is, we do all these things to look, make ourselves look better and, and, and do these things to try to improve ourselves, to live longer because we don't want to die, right? We want to inherit eternal life. We want eternal life. We want to get eternal life. And so this is a question that all mankind asks. And you see, we, we see this in this rich young ruler. He's asking the question, how can I get, how can I inherit eternal life? And so as we get, go a little further in verse 17, it says this, good teacher, he asks, what must I do? Oh, sorry. Never mind. Anyhow, not, never mind. The rest, of, the rest of the message is good. <laughs> Verse 17. Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. And see, the thing I want us to, to, to understand when he says get, when he says inherit eternal life, he thinks it's something that he can obtain, that he can do, that it's a work that he can have, that if I do so many good things with my life, I can, I can inherit, I can get eternal life. And that is totally wrong. Jesus says, you, you, there's only one good. There's only one that is good. There's only one that is perfect, and that is God. And of course, he is God as well. Jesus is. 
And so my point here is that works don't equal eternal life. And just to let you know, I got a little bored this week, so I just, I, I was playing with my computer and I found all these emojis and all these little things on my, my Word or my PowerPoint. I was like, well, I'm just going to use one of these. So I, I put up uh, a, a thumbs down. So my, my thing in this is the thumbs down. It says works don't equal eternal life. And so one of the things that we need to think about is this. With our life, all the good things I want to do and think I'm doing, and I can give myself a pat on the back and say, boy, I'm a good boy. I do a lot of good things. Those don't equal eternal life. All your good works, all the things that you think you've done over your course of time do not equal eternal life. You can't just be a good person, do a lot of good things, and receive eternal life. Matthew 19, 17, it says, part B. If you want to be enter eternal life, keep the commandments. And then here's an interesting question that Richard Ungerly responds in verse 18. He says, which ones, he inquired. And I think that is so interesting because we asked that question, right? I remember, I can't remember which one of my sons did this, but when they were younger, I gave him a list of things I wanted to do. And, he, and, he, and then he was like, well, which one do you really want me to do? <laughs> which one is really important on the list? Is, is there one more important than the other? And I think about how slippery of a slope that is. Get, hence my emoji, the guy falling down, it's slippery. But anyhow, how easy it can be that we get caught up in, in which ones do I need to really keep? In which one, you know, all the things that Jesus listed out, he says to love your Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he's asking the question, well, which one is more important? Which, which one of those things in the Ten Commandments do I really need to do? Which one is higher than all the others? You know, which ones do I really need to keep? Which ones are the best, in other words? See, again, that's kind of our philosophy. If I just... Well, I may not honor my mother and my father, but I'm really good about not stealing anything. I'm really good about not uh, being a false witness. I'm really good about those things. But I'm not so good about this. But I'm still a good person because I do a good job in those other areas. Isn't that right? Isn't that what we do sometimes? We want to give ourselves a pat on the back because we do some of those things very well. But a lot of the other things we don't. We don't really care about, Right? We don't think are important when it's all important. And we'll dive more into this in just a second. Matthew chapter 19, verse 18 through 19, it says this. Jesus replied, you shall not murder. You shall not commit, adul commit adultery. You shall not steal. Uh, you shall not give false testimony. You honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. And I think about that, that Jesus ends with all those commands that he lists out. And he says, love your neighbor as yourself. See, I think that, and it's interesting because he doesn't start off with saying, well, love me or love God. Evidently, this, this young ruler loved God because he doesn't even mention about the first great command of loving the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. He takes issue with the fact that you really love people. And I think that's a lot of times where we feel. We may want to honor God. We may love God. But a lot of times, it's the people that annoy us, Right? It's the people that's easy to judge that's outside of us. It's, it's the people that rub our pride against their pride, and then we get irritated, and they're just a jerk, right? <laughs> it's those people that just grind our gears. Maybe, maybe I'm one of that in your life, you know, <laughs> one of those people. But anyhow, we've got to love people. 
We've got to care for those. We've got to love and, and really be compassionate with others. And I think it's very interesting because Jesus is addressing this issue to him. And he goes right past the first commandment to the last six commandments that deal with dealing with people, with caring for people, with having compassion in your heart. We are called to love each other. We're called to love others. And I think this was the main issue of this, this rich young ruler. It wasn't that he didn't really have a heart for God. I think he did. He's coming to God. You know, in other words, God didn't pick him out of the crowd and say, hey, I want you to come up here. I want to talk to you. No, this rich young ruler is seeking Jesus out. He's seeking him out. And he's saying, what do I need to do to inherit or get eternal life? What can I do? What work, what thing can I do to get this? Jesus says, love your neighbor. Love those around you. And I think it really is the heart of this rich young ruler that Jesus is trying to capture. And his response is like all of our response, right? All these have I kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? And the thing here is the, the thing that, that's the interesting thing about this whole story, right? The whole story is really about this person recognizing, the rich young ruler recognizes that there's something missing in his life. There's something that's not right. It's something that I, I can't grasp. I have all this wealth. I have all these things. I have a love for God, but there's something missing in my life. And I think about this for me, like, like when I was 16 and I rededicated my life, that, that God called me right then at 16 years old to ministry. And then for two years, I kind of resisted that. I was like, no, no, I don't want to, I don't want to be a pastor. I don't want to do that. That, that just, I don't want to do that. Partly because of my experience with my dad, I felt the responsibility. I wanted to be real. I didn't want to be fake. I wanted to be sincere. I just felt like I, I couldn't do that. And for two years, 16, 17, 18, I was miserable. She thought I was talking to her. <laughs> They're not sure either. <laughs> but anyhow, that never happened to me before, but anyhow. So, <laughs> I can't help it, that's very funny. Uh, <laughs> she doesn't understand. <laughs> My wife doesn't understand me either. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't even know where she is. Where is she at? Uh, <laughs> anyhow, all these have I kept, kept the young men said, what do I still lack? And I just think that's interesting because we think we're doing a good job. We think we're doing all these things that are good and we're trying to live a good life. But we know in our hearts we're missing something. I was missing something at 18 that I finally said, okay, God. Oh, there you are. All right. All right. Um, so the thing is, is that God is the one that has created a void in our heart that he can only fill. And the moment I accepted the call to ministry, it was, like, it was like God was just calling me out of where I was. And when you're obedient to God and you're willing to, to open your heart to him, he's able to fill that gap that you have and take you places you never thought you could go before. And it's so interesting, right? Look at the story. Look at the story. He's the one approaching Jesus. He's going after Jesus. He's pursuing Jesus. And he, not Jesus, he recognizes in his life 
he's missing out on something. There's something of value that he can't acquire through wealth. There's something that he's missing out on. And I think that a lot of us, God is giving opportunities for us to do something for him, to pursue something, to grow in something. And a lot of times we miss out and we're missing that opportunity. We know that something's not quite right. In verse 21, it says, Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And so one of the things I think about this is kind of the, 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 the heart and mind we should have. He's telling him, he's telling him, take all the possessions you have, give it or sell it first, then give the proceeds to make a difference in somebody else's life and then come follow me. And I think it's interesting too because he says, if you want to be perfect, in other words, this person isn't a bad guy. He's not a, a bad dude because he has a lot of money and he's wealthy. He's, not a, he's, a, he's trying to live for a life for God. But he knows there's something else God is calling him to do with his life. And yet he can't let go of this. And whatever this is for you, you need to let go of. You need to sell it. You need to get rid of it. You need to let it go and surrender it to God so that you can give it and use it and allow God to use that to make a difference in somebody else's life so that you can go follow Jesus. And so we need to sell the things that hold us back, the things that hinder us. We need to give the things that we have that God could use the things that we have to bless somebody else and touch somebody else's life. And then we need to pursue Jesus Christ. See, the thing about this perfect thing, I think it's interesting. Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, see, there's only one that's perfect and that's God. Of course, Jesus is God, right? And so he's saying, if you want to be perfect, you've got to pursue me. You can't be perfect in this life without me. You can't be all that you can be without me. I am perfect. And if you want that, you have to come pursue me. So Jesus is calling us all. If we want to be perfect, if we want to leave our sinful nature behind, if we want to leave the old way of living our lives, if we want to do something new with our life, we've got to let go. We've got to sell all those things that will hold us back. And we've got to surrender it and say, God, I'm not going to let this hold me back. I'm going to pursue you and let him have everything and give everything to everyone else and follow him. That's how we can be perfect. It doesn't matter about the money. Really, it doesn't, because I think there's wealthy people. I mean, you, you see in Lydia and in, 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 in Paul's ministry, Lydia was a wealthy person. She used her resources to make a difference, and she was a faithful servant of Christ. But the, the attention to money, the, the holding back of the money, the, the money that makes you feel like you have status, or, you know, all these issues. And let me tell you this, too. People that are rich don't just have a problem with money. It's the middle class. It's the poor that have a problem with money. Anytime we put money as a pedestal and we raise it up ahead of God, it's a problem in our life. Because God should come first. And it's not just about money because there's other things that hold you back that you're not willing to sell, that you're not willing to let go of to pursue Jesus. 
And I know it, and you know it. There's things in my life that creep in that say, no, I want the world. I want this. I don't want what God has to offer. And it's a choice we all have to make if we really want to follow him. If you want to be perfect, you've got to go pursue him. Verse 22, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. One of the things that I think is just heartbreaking in, in Mark's translate or gospel. Not sure. Why am I saying translation? That's just weird. Gospel. When Mark's gospel, he's saying the fact that this person was just just deeply sad. He's just deeply upset. He's just just broken, walking away from this. And that's the thing for all of us. Don't walk away sad. Don't walk away from what Jesus has to offer us. I think about the, the fact how God was gracious with me that, that I was trying to resist and I was trying to walk away from God in the sense that, God, I'll serve you in any capacity. I'll, I'll do whatever you call me to do, but I don't want to be a minister. I don't want to be a pastor. Let me do what I want to do. But God's grace allowed me to have other opportunities to accept his call in my life. And maybe this rich young ruler later on had other opportunities in his life, but he walked away on this day. On this particular day, he walked away sad because he walked away from the opportunity to be with God. And that's the thing, right? It's not about what you get. It's not about the, the, the thing of, of being somebody. It's, not, it's in relationship with God. That's what we're pursuing. That's what we should be going after. It's, it's being with him. Don't walk away sad and, and walk away from God being a part of your life. Pursue him, go after him, follow him. Don't let hoings, don't let wealth, don't let friends, don't let, don't let possessions, don't let things of this world pull you back to where you really want to go because we all want to be with our Heavenly Father. Verse 23, then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it is harder for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I will tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for someone who is to be rich to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard this, they were astonished and asked, who can be saved? And that is a very important question that we all need to ask. Who can be saved? Who can be saved? And for you tech guys out there or people that like technology, I, I thought that was, I don't know, maybe it's not quite right, but anyhow, it's like still, still loading. It's not there yet. It's in the cloud somewhere. Or it's trying to get the cloud, but it can't get the cloud. It's not, it's not all the way loaded yet. So you're like clicking on the item and thinking you can get access to it, but you can't because it's not loaded up yet, right? So you're stuck. So it can't be saved. You didn't save anything because it's not in the cloud, so you don't have it on your, you can't get it everywhere. Never mind. Anyhow. <laughs> But who can be saved? And, and that's, that's the thing is like, because they were thinking that they could save themselves. The disciples, people that are, are the Jewish people, they were thinking, if I do good things, if I do things well, if I represent God well, I will enter into eternal life. I am the one that chooses. I'm the one that dictates what happens. And that is totally wrong. It's not up to us. It's, it's, I can't save myself. It is almost impossible for us 
to receive eternal life. And the reason why is because we look at his response in verse 26, he says, Jesus looked at them and said, with this it is impossible, but with, with God all things are possible. See, it's not us that saved. We can't save ourselves, but it's God who saves. God is the one who can save us. And going back to the, the camel and the, the eye and, and all that, there's two different thoughts on this. Some people believe it really was a, a needle and the imagery, and it was just kind of a saying that a camel could fit through an eye of a needle. And then there's this other concept, which is also very speaks true to this, is that there were certain places in, in a wall, like a city was protected, and you'd have this, this area called the, the eye of the needle, and it was a small hole in the, in the wall that a camel could not get through. If it had baggage on and stuff, it had to take all the baggage off, and the rider had to get off to get through that area. It was called the eye of the needle. And so either way, Jesus is using an illustration that is powerful because he's saying it's narrow, it's, it's hard, it's difficult, and the disciples are shocked because they're like, here we are following you, we're trying to do everything you tell us to do, and you're telling us it's almost impossible. How's this going to happen? And his response is this, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Because it's not us that do it. It's God who saves. It's God who forgives. Our, our salvation is not dependent on your actions. It's, it's dependent on Jesus and a God who loves you so much that was willing to lay down your life. And the thing that we have to do in response is to believe in the name of Jesus Christ and accept him as Lord of our life. It's faith that saves us because of what God did. With, all th- with God, all things are possible. Verse 27, Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? I think this is a very interesting question because, you know, Peter gets a bad rap because a lot of times Peter is the one that's like looked as the bad guy and he's not really the bad guy. He's just saying that whatever one of us think. He was very transparent when it came to Jesus. I think he was a very transparent guy, right? He just, he let you know what he thinks. He would share. And, and so many times in leadership, you, you want those people to just tell you what they think right off the bat because it's harder in a, as a leader to know what people think without, you, you know, you're trying to guess what they think. But if you have people that just spit it out, it's like, oh, well, now I can deal with that because I know where we're going with this. And so Peter just blurts it out. He says, well, well wait a second. <laughs> wait a second. For us that have left everything, I've left my wife, I've left my livelihood, I've left fishing to join you, what's there for us? What do we receive? And that is the same heart that a lot of times we have when we follow Jesus, right? When we follow God, it's sometimes like, what, what am I going to get out of this? What am I going to receive? What, what is going to be for me? What's the treasure box like for us that are following you? And that is the wrong, wrong thing. Even though Jesus is going to honor us and he's going to address this, it's not about things. It's not about stuff. It's not about getting something. It's being with him. He's our greatest treasure. He's our greatest thing that we could ever obtain. It's interesting because when you're a little boy, at least or a little girl, I'm not just trying to single anybody out, but when I was a little boy, it was just like my time with God was just awesome. 
because there was an innocence to it. You know what I mean? As you get older, you start seeing the world and you start seeing all the things that are out there and you get distracted and you kind of lose that innocence. That's, that's the heart of what we should be is just wanting to be with him, wanting, wanting to be in relationship with him. But his, this is Jesus' response. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, he's talking about the future, what will happen. When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you will have followed me. Uh, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. So eternal life is a pursuit of Jesus. It's pursuing him. It's going after him. It's going and following him. It's going back to that sell, give, and follow. For us to receive eternal life, it's got to come through Jesus. Jesus is the one that's setting it all up. He already has it planned. Imagine this. It's just interesting that Jesus knew everything when he was here upon the earth. He knew ahead of time. And I think it's so powerful that when the Gospel of John, we see him pray for future believers. He's, he's praying for us now. At that point, and when he, before he dies upon the cross, he's praying for all of us that believe in his name. Eternal life is a great thing, but it's not the thing. The eternal thing that we need to enjoy the most is not life. It's the relationship with our God. He continues on, verse 30. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. You know, I was waking up this morning. You know how you're laying in bed, you're sleeping kind of good, and the alarm goes off. And uh, How many of you use your phone as your alarm? Do you guys use your phone as your alarm? So you're kind of just reaching over, trying to find it. You get it, pick it up, and you just first thing you try to do is try to turn off your alarm. And you turn it off, and then, then you're still kind of groggy. You're not ready to get out of bed yet, so you open your phone. And usually, most of us, I, I would say, get on Facebook to see what's going on. And today, it was really cool because uh, my cousin put pictures of my uncle. His name's Dave, Howard Dale Gribble. And it just made me think. And it made me think about this message because I was thinking of some people that are from here that have encourage me or touch my life because you know for us preachers we we are a bunch of noisy irritating you know think we have good prayers and uh we we would like to hear our voices sometimes but those aren't the ones that are going to be last in heaven that will be first i think it's going to be the young son here is that don't really get mentioned very much i think it's going to be the people that you don't even know about that are prayer warriors that are followers of jesus at work at the things that they're a part of, and they're investing in people. But going back to my uncle, it just made me think and appreciate my uncle because he was a father of a pastor, and he never was a minister. I think the biggest role he played at the church he served was the Sunday school superintendent, which is an important role, but he didn't treat it like a title or a position. He just wanted to see people grow in their faith. And he loved people. He cared for them. 
As I think about some words that I actually posted uh, this morning, I think back to his wisdom, his ingenuity. He's very smart, patient, kind, just a good man, a man who loved Jesus. And I don't believe in coincidences. See, I bought a house, or me and my wife bought a house. Sorry, honey, I didn't mean to just put myself out there. Another weakness of pastors. <laughs> uh, but we bought a house, and I don't believe in coincidences, but the person we bought the house off of is a person named Glenn Tracewell. And this person, as I talked to him and got to know him more and realized that he considered my uncle one of his three spiritual heroes. It's people like my uncle. It's even people like Glenn Tracewell, which has a powerful testimony. And he, he loves Jesus. And one of the things I think about him is that he'll take a metal detector at a beach and he'll just start swinging the metal detector looking for something. And people will approach him and say, well, what's the greatest treasure you ever found? And he just kind of grins. And he says, well, let me tell you about that. Let me tell you about Jesus. Those are the kind of people that this is talking about, I believe. It's the people that serve Jesus with nobody looking around, that have a love in their heart for God, that have sold things to give to people to help others. They've sold or sold out all those things that held them back. They cared enough about people to give what they had, whatever it was, like the woman with the two mites, and they were in pursuit of Jesus. And so my uncle was a, a difference maker in Glenn Tracewell's life, and my uncle was a difference maker in my life in so many ways. But I think about Porterfield, and I can't help but think of some really good men that we've lost over the years. I think about Herb Arnold different times that I would preach and I'd get back there and he'd give me a hug and, and he'd just tell me, Eric, we love you. For somebody that I didn't often hear my dad tell me that he loved me. It's pretty special hearing somebody that I barely knew tell me that he just cared about me and valued my ministry. I think about Ron Somerville who had a passion and a heart to start Stephen Ministry and see it happen here, along with Pastor Mark and Joyce Schultz and others. And Judy Drake helped to get that going. But love to serve people, love to be with people, love to help people. And again, with that ministry, it's going side by side with one person and leading them and encouraging and helping them through dark times of their life. I think Glenn Hare. Glenn Heron was a deacon at our church, but there were things that he would do sometimes that was just awesome. He would go around and help people in the church with little projects in their home. He loved vehicles. He loved his motorcycle. And he would go and help women that were widows get their car's oil changed. I think about Dan... Danny Gandy, such an encourager, such a worker, 
He didn't have to have a title, but he was here almost every week with Earl Heft. And they would sometimes get little arguments. <laughs> not, not really big. Danny would just walk away, <laughs> go work on something else. But Danny had a heart that was just awesome. And, he, and I remember one of the things that stick out to me is just him teaching his grandkids how to drive in our church parking lot. He had a love for people, and he was always encouraging to me and to all of us as a staff, and, and we miss all of this. But those are the type of people I believe in heaven that are going to receive that hundredfold. Not because they were looking for it, not because they wanted it, not because they desired it, but because they loved Jesus so much that they just wanted to live their lives for him. And so as we were called to live our lives for Christ, I go back to this question. What are you willing to let go of? What are you willing to sell? What are you willing to give to others? And then are you really going to pursue and follow Jesus? If you want to be perfect, the only way to be perfect is to follow him. Let us stand and just have a moment of prayer as the praise team comes up. Lord, I just thank you for everything you do. I thank you for loving us. I thank you for people like my uncle and others that I mentioned. I thank you for the lives and the impact that they have. I uh, thank you, uh, as I think about also, I think about Lonnie Stacy. Just great men. And I know there's great women too, but today you laid in my heart to just mention some of these men that have left a legacy, and they weren't pursuing a career in it. They weren't trying to uh, become a pastor. They weren't, they weren't concerned about titles. They just wanted to follow you. Help us to be the same and have the same kind of heart, to let go of the things of this world, to look out for others and provide, and follow you. We know that there's something missing in our heart, and it's only you that can fill it. Thank you for being with us this morning. Thank you for the baptisms we're seeing. Thank you for you changing hearts and you changing lives. And we pray for the future of our, this local body of believers that will continue to be in their pursuit of you. And Lord, as we join hearts and thinking about those that are suffering for your name in Afghanistan or those dealing with the different issues like in Haiti, that you would just touch and be with those. Help us to be a beacon of hope and a light to the world. In your wonderful, precious name, I pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen.